0: With a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George, welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM.
1: I'm your host, Rez Krebs, and we've got the Friday political panel today. We have Eric Allen, Trudy Clausen, Herb Martin, and James Steidel. I wanted to start out uh, talking a little bit about this national dental plan that is being unveiled here in the next few months, actually over the course of about a year. Uh, This was actually a really big, it's funny because the federal liberals, you know, Mark Holland, uh, health health minister, is kind of rolling this out. But you kind of have equal, uh, you know, almost competing news uh, press conferences with NDP uh, uh, kind of critics coming out and saying, hey, look look what we did, right, with this thing. Um, I, I, you know, it's interesting. It's going to cost about $13 billion over five years. Um it's it's tagged to uh to income. So it's I think you got a your household has to be making less than ninety thousand dollars a year, and then it's actually there'll be copay, you know, there's a number of different kind of rungs. It's very complex. A couple of things that I'm interested in is that that the fact that it was it'll be administered by Sun Life. Uh and that there that there is those those kind of copay things. It starts with the, the kind of oldest age group and then it comes down. Eric, what do you think about this uh, Sun Life Insurance managing our national dental care program?
2: Well, <clears throat> Sun Life manages most, if not all, of the private plants. And uh, this whole thing is modeled after private plants. One of the things i got to say about it is why now, and of course going into an election, and it's NDP, the NDP is pushing it because they're putting pressure on Trudeau.
1: It was a condition of their supply and confidence agreement. so
2: the interesting thing is if you read the the small print, it says that, uh, you know, people who already have a plan can sign on to this one. That's the one you want to watch because what I see down the road is that the people with the private plan will be gone and will all be on the public plan. Now, one of the problems, not a problem, but the private plan is that... You they only pay eighty percent, generally.
1: Yeah.
2: Of your plan, the other twenty percent, you pay yourself. But the other thing is that the private plan is they charge you like you get a T four slip, like I get one for fifteen hundred dollars a year. It's counted as income
1: towards and your I taxes. Have to
2: claim it as income. Yeah. Which is roughly at thirty percent or something is four hundred fifty dollars a month they pay in taxes. Uh. I can see where the canfors of the world and the other big private companies are going to get out of this. So it'll be a significant savings to them. They won't have to pay it anymore. And we'll all get on this plan. But the question is, are they going to, everybody on that gets on this plan, are they going to charge them income on that 20%? Because it's going to be the same thing. 80% paid, 20% you pay out of your own pocket. And so we could all be paying, end up paying for... That's a tax—a roundabout way of taxing people.
1: That's yeah, interesting, Trudy. What do you think about the uh, Sun Life? Basically, the private—it's a private-public sponsorship or partnership. Billions of dollars, basically, being uh, managed by a private corporation. Is this—is this the way to go when we're talking about managing a, a huge government insurance program?
3: Okay, okay, I'm glad I remembered this. Uh, what's the the jumbo max 3, 737 airplane?
1: Yeah, the one that was oh, crashing.
3: The one, that, okay. So why did it crash? It's because software. Yes. Oh no. Uh, well, because they they designed this airplane. Oh, it had a problem. They they made a little fix to it, and then oh, there was another problem. They made another little fix to it, and then they kept adding, trying to fix this airplane that needed some major rethinking of the whole thing. But instead of doing that, they just fixed little things, trying to sort of keep it up in the air, and then eventually it crashed. And and people died. And I Mm -hmm. think this is what we're doing in Canada. There's so many issues that we have in our public health care system. And all we're doing is trying to fix, you know, adding this little thing, tweaking this, tweaking that. And when really the whole system needs to be revamped, remodernized or modernized because so many things have changed since we designed our health care system.
1: So does, does keeping the public kind of administration of this plan... Uh, putting that in private hands, is that a way of like saying, okay, we don't have to tax our own bureaucracy any more than they already are in terms of administering <laughs> well, public health care? Well, as we're
3: growing significant amounts of bureaucracy, uh, we'll just farm this out. I think that's, I mean, it's probably not the worst idea because that uh, sun life is experienced in this, but um, it's, it's a messy thing and, and I think, You know, whether or not this will actually have a positive outcome, I'm not sure, because we have Pacific Blue Cross in BC for people that are low income, and dentists used to uh, write off the rest that Pacific Blue Cross didn't cover, but uh, my daughter, who was working as the patient care coordinator at a local dentist uh, dentistry, uh, was saying they don't do that anymore because it's just gotten so completely convoluted, so... And, and they 're not going to cover this because it 's covering people up to ninety thousand and um, they 're not going to cover the difference so um i don 't think it 's a win for really anybody because I think it 's like I said trying to solve like just attach another thing to a massive system that needs to be revamped
1: i mean i think it'll be a win for people who need dental care who don't have a lot of money
3: oh, well they've had we've had that right in, in bc we have if you are under a uh, certain threshold you have pacific blue cross
1: i have i mean i i don't know about that i, I yeah i mean people who have, who have oh, serious oh, dental absolutely. issues who are low income absolutely. who cannot pay
3: but i mean will it will it actually do that if they still have to pay their own por- portion will they have the money? And. That's the problem. Like, because it goes up to ninety thousand, dentists will not be willing to cover it to, to take the difference. Because then there's also the question of which fee guide are they char- are they uh, charging under? There, yeah, I mean, it's
1: like a mechanic. You got to have the same fee guide, right? Because
3: the current fee guide that's being used, I think my daughter said was two thousand eleven.
2: Oh yeah, and I that, think you have to have a pretty good employer and in order to get Blue Cross. Not everybody's got Blue Cross. Yeah, that's the issue, uh, Herb. What do you think about the private basically
1: handing a whole bunch of money to a private insurance provider? It's, it's interesting to me in a, in a public uh, health kind of situation. But also, what about Eric's idea about this being kind of a slippery slope?
4: Well, I think it's it's actually probably a, a really good idea because it sort of neatly sidesteps all the federal-provincial problems that uh, might mm-hmm. otherwise occur, and it rolls the thing right across the country. Uh, with an ex- experienced provider that already, like uh, Eric says, provides you know does this kind of work. Um, look, there's there's I think there's really good reasons for this uh, humanitarian, first of all, but also economic. I mean, uh, dental problems have been associated with uh, heart disease, uh, arthritis, cancer. So you know this is um, you know you know the the problems that people have uh, with their teeth. Uh, translate into uh, medical problems later on that they have to mm-hmm. address at the hospital, which we all wind up paying for. So this is preventative med- medicine, and I think that's probably the, the cheapest form of medicine that we can go after. And uh, you know, if if we have um, uh, if we have an efficient uh, system in the private sector, uh, you know, maybe that maybe that's the way forward too. That's um, uh, you know, we've got all sorts of provincial health jurisdictions uh, that overlap and uh, have turf wars, and um, and there's there's lots of inefficiencies uh, in the local hospital I know of. Uh, you know that um, uh, perhaps uh, you know some sort of uh, uh, you know counterbalance of, of sort of some private uh, private enterprise uh, over, oversight and um, but a public policy. Uh, might be a might be a happy medium
1: james you think it's a happy medium to have a private uh private insurance provider be administering this massive public expenditure
5: well i don't know about that but i, I do know that um you know the price i get charged as a self-employed individual is uh, different than what uh, people get charged who are on dental plans uh if i need mm-hmm. to get uh, teeth work done i mean they give me a better deal because i'm paying out of pocket so you know that that's You're not supposed to not supposed to but it happens right um So, I mean, yeah, I think I think that's something to consider. Uh, There are a number of provinces, excellent points everybody else made. I don't really have much to add other than that, you know, there's a few other provinces with their own programs that have been recently launched, you know, uh, having dental care available to seniors and people with uh, low income. Uh, PEI's got one that's pretty close to what the federal one is. Uh, Alberta's got one, uh, not as extensive, and I believe Nova Scotia has a policy. And... You know, has that's really, like Eric's point, has this impacted uh, the private provision of insurance or people opting out of those plans? Uh, I'm not sure. Um, but, I mean, if other provinces, if the cat's already out of the bag on, on this kind of thing nationally, then to me it makes sense to, to roll out a, a kind of national program to kind of harmonize all these different policies. You know, if everybody does opt out of these private plans and, you know, a company like Canfor isn't providing dent- dental anymore, then then the solution there, uh, is to increase corporate tax rates and, and charge them for it. I mean, if, if, it, if that's already a cost uh, that they're coming up with, then, then they should uh, pay the same thing for, for a, a more fair and equitable plan that's available to all people in the country, regardless of uh, whether they work for Canfor or not.
1: I mean, this is uh, the point about taking... Taking over what is right now being a privately uh, provided uh, insurance policy, that that's simply a way of of making things a little more efficient. In my mind, right, you get access to dental care no matter who you are or where you are in the country. If this if this goes instead of just being limited to people who are under ninety k in a household, um, that would mean that you. These these big places can for or my small business uh, no longer have to provide the dental care on their insurance, reducing costs of labor and potentially increasing profits, but potentially also meaning that they can employ more people. I I, I see that as a benefit to to you know frankly everybody in the country, yeah. including the capitalists.
5: I think the big inefficiency is is bringing the sunlight into it. You know I think um, the most efficient way to deliver healthcare insurance is single payer. Uh, if you look at the difference between Canada and the United States as far as, um, you know, the cost, the administrative cost of delivering healthcare, we're way below what it is in the States because, let's face it, when you get, uh, when you access healthcare in the States under a private, uh, insurance plan, you gotta support all those CEOs and executives and huge administri- administrative bureaucracy that's private, not public, yeah. uh, that exists, uh, to administer healthcare in the States. And I think you gotta avoid that by just going a single payer and, and make it, uh, and and uh, make it uh, simple.
2: I think we should remember that it's it's the private companies that hire Sun Life. You know, they hire to look after their dental program, and so when you go in there, <clears throat> the de- Sun Life or the dentist builds Sun Life. They do whatever economy you have to do with Canfor or whatever company you work for, and that's how it's handled. And anything over that eighty percent, you have to apply to Sun Life and then. Uh, they'll pay you if you got something coming. You know, that comes out of your fifteen hundred dollars a year or whatever. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if all the government, and there's lots of them, federal, provincial, and municipal, all have dental plans. Oh, of course. And had them for years. And I wouldn't be surprised if Sunlight for somebody, they hire looks after that too. Otherwise, you're gonna have individuals go to the dentist, and then you're gonna have to apply to the government to get it. They're going to have to have this humongous people, a bunch of people working there to pay the dentists. We're in a serious situation for dentists right now in this country. I don't know what it's going to be like a year from now.
1: Right now, Well, we'll take a short break. We'll be back after these messages.
6: The Beatles formed in Liverpool
0: in 1960 and consisted of John Lennon, Paul McCartney, George Harrison, and Ringo Starr. They are widely considered to be one of the most influential bands of
3: all time. The band's innovative songwriting and musicianship, as well as their charismatic personalities and sense of style, helped to shape the popular culture of the 1960s and continue to influence music today. Join us on Thursdays at 6 p.m. for Apple Scruffs, only on 93.1.
7: Northern Health is taking actions to continue protecting people, communities, and the healthcare system this respiratory season by encouraging people in the North aged six months and older to get their COVID-19 and influenza vaccines. Visit getvaccinated.gov.bc.ca to get registered. Invitations will then be sent by email and text message with an invitation link to book your vaccine appointment. If you need help scheduling your vaccines, call 1-833-838-2323. Visit northernhealth.ca for Clinic information in your community.
8: Need vehicle repairs? See Big O Tires. Famous for tires, Big O is also a full service automotive center customers trust for expert service and repair. From brakes to tire changeovers to steering, suspension, and more, Bigot Tire treats every vehicle like it's their own. Proudly locally owned and operated for 24 years, Gary and the team of the Big O' Tires thank you for your tremendous support and wishes you a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Big O' Tires, 2000 Victoria Street, Prince George.
6: Forecast from Environment Canada. Cloudy today with snow starting this afternoon. Winds from the southeast to 20 gusting to 50, a high of minus 1 with a wind chill to minus 10. Snow changing to rain late this evening. Gusting southeast winds are coming light overnight, the temperature rising to 2. For Saturday cloudy, a 40% chance of showers or flurries early in the morning, wind at 15k
0: and a high steady near minus 2. Featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George. You're listening to After Nine on 93.1 CFIS FM.
1: We're back with the Friday panel. It seems like the big media splash in Prince George this week was uh, articles in CBC, the Prince George Citizen, I think My PG Now or CKPG, um, talking about the mayor's expenses. The headline in the CBC was Prince George Mayor Blows Expense Budget with 4K and Meals Nights at First Class Suite, documents show. So uh Mayor Simon Yu has apparently gone uh he spent eighteen thousand dollars on travel accommodation and meals. Uh his his budget was ninety five hundred dollars this year. Um, I find it interesting that uh they note actually that uh Lynn Hall, the last mayor, the most he ever spent was sixteen thousand. So it's two more two thousand dollars more than Lynn Hall and with, with with inflation it's probably about the same. I couldn't find an article that that did the same amount of digging on Lynn Hall's personal expenses, uh, Trudy. I know you're I kind of uh, maybe in a conflict of interest here. We're going to start with you. I mean, my my big question here is: is this something we really care about as Prince George? Citizens? Well,
3: I, I mean, yes. Every every dollar that uh, we spend as as councilors and as members of council, and they are included, we're absolutely accountable for it uh, because that is money that people are paying to uh, have good governance. So one interesting thing, when I came on council, I thought it was my job and my duty to report everything that I did to my fellow councillors. If I went to an event or something that we were all invited to um, and, and only I showed up, I sent out a report to my fellow councillors. I soon realized that nobody else was doing that. So that highlights something, like, because I think the opportunity here is that there's, ne- like Brian Skagen was telling me this morning, is that there's no policy. There never has been a policy of how we re- report out. Um, and I think, so I mean, like I said, like, I started doing it, and then I just stopped. And and I was going to, you know, initially on my social media, I was going to, like, post every day, and or every, like, for everything I did, and my kids said, no, mom, that's too much. So it's like, okay, then I didn't do that. Um, but so there's no, we don't have any policy. So, I mean, this is maybe an opportunity if we feel that we need to do it is to develop a policy for reporting out because none of us are required to do any reporting out except for, you know, how much we've actually spent, right, and or submitted and got reimbursed for. And each of us have a budget. And um, and I know that I realized in May that I would be over budget for how much, uh, like for attending. So I didn't charge... Um, like I've done haven't charged I don't think anything other than going to the natural natural resources forum in January uh, going to I think I went to a local government association thing that was here in town and then going to NCLGA and FCM in Toronto a- NCLGA was held in Dawson Creek What's FCM
1: NCL? What's that?
3: And uh, N- North Central Local Government Association oh, Okay um, so that for was
1: those, those of us at home who might know, not know, know. all yes, the acronyms. Yes. So that was how
3: that was the North Central Local Government Association meeting in in uh, Dawson Creek, and then uh, FCM, which is the fed, uh, Federation of Canadian Municipalities, uh, event in Toronto, and I and and then the UBCM, which is the Union of B- BC Municipalities, event in in Vancouver. And me being an eager you know energizer bunny, I want to do everything. It's like. Okay, I'm going to be paying out of my own pocket for some of this, and uh, uh, I haven't seen, I haven't, I haven't taken a look at my final numbers, but um, we'll see how where it goes because I, I mean, it's like good grief in in uh, Vancouver and Toronto, I, our hotel rooms were nearly four hundred dollars a week or a night, and we could not like for UBCM. I asked um, the mayor's administrator, like, can we? I'm only going to go for three nights because I want to reduce my costs. And, you know, I felt bad about doing it that way, but I wanted to reduce my costs, and I was told, no, you can't. You have to pay for the full five-night package. Huh. And at almost, I think it was $380 a night. And that's, it's crazy, and, or, or, or do we look at it and go, okay, do, like, I mean, besides the reporting out policy, which we don't have at all for anyone, um, do we want to look at maybe increasing that, or, well, I don't know, so I mean, Her- that's...
1: Herb, we got, we got an interesting idea here is just having a reporting out policy. I'm not sure if it was in the CBC article or another one, but the mayor said he it took him almost a year to get a, an expense report. So of course he's shifting blame, but like, is, I, same question, like is this something that we should really be spending all this effort to think about and worry about?
4: Uh, as long as he's not uh, billing the city for hookers and blow, I think he's, uh, he's doing pretty good. Um, you know, like really,
1: uh, it's pretty dumb for him to stay at the Treasure Cove instead of getting a cab. Yeah, off. he's actually Sorry. paid that one
4: back. So you know, I mean, there's a pretty strong rumors going around town and have been for quite a while that you know a previous mayor actually was uh, uh, involved with hookers. So you know, that was never covered by, by better, any media in town.
2: That by who do you mean by? previous. A, a previous mayor. A mayor a, previous please.
1: to Simon Yu.
4: Yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't <laughs> the last mayor.
4: <laughs> so, you know, and that and that, uh, that's, I mean, I've heard that rumor for many people, so uh, where was where was journalism involved there? And and where was the journalism on the uh, on the, you know, cost overruns of the parking lot? I mean, come the on. The Citizen was
1: certainly covering
4: it. Uh, citizen yes. was, but I mean, yeah. Anyway, I mean, it just seems ridiculous.
1: James, I mean, this is, uh, this coming out at this point, I just wonder where the kind of story
5: is. Like, why, why is the being spent on that story? You know, I've, I've criticized our local CBC off on here and, 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 uh, in my call little column there uh, about their lack of coverage of local stuff local civics and, and uh, investigative journalism. <laughs> well here you go you got the and coverage and now, now we now we got a big a big story you know let's make a national i think it was on amazon news it's like a huge story it's getting uh, it's getting blown up everywhere. So here's our um here's our example of local journalism and i think it's it's hitting the wrong spot. I mean yeah okay it reflects poorly on Simon you i think he made some really questionable uh, judgment calls like um, you know, but there's really only two real examples in there that uh, that were concerning, which was the, the Treasure Hotel, Cove Casino yeah. thing, uh, the Ottawa thing, and then was, also maybe for,
3: yeah, that was for two nights, not just one.
5: Oh, it was two nights.
3: It was two nights. Seven yeah. hundred
5: dollars. So he spent.
3: Yeah. It, okay, so he that... actually got a good deal because we paid. Four, almost four hundred dollars. I
5: know. No, it said it said it was everybody's, everybody's was thinking it, at $750 it's $750 a night no, 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 it was too oh, oh, It's not oh, the fair oh, amount. Oh, oh. oh my god. Okay, so so I I'm going to be a little bit more harsh in my criticism. I think that was a <laughs> uh, it feels to me that that was a hatchet job, a political hatchet job coming from our local CBC uh, don't, reporters don't, here. It's the CBC, but it's also uh, the Citizen it's, and uh, what the maybe CKPG. Yeah, was in yeah, I, think, I think there's more to the story than what's coming out, and I think uh, we need to look at uh, personal politics. It's a small town; people are friends with people. Some of the other city councillors that aren't in agreement with Simon U, who never supported Simon U on critical things like supporting local journalism, are you know happen to have friendships with certain people in, in in certain uh places in the media ecosystem here in prince george not going to name names but i think that's got to be considered as part of this let's uh, like herb said i think we've got to look at the big picture here he's what two thousand dollars different from what uh, Kelowna spent last year with their mayor's budget or cam loops i think and we're talking about very small amounts of money here uh maybe it's eight thousand dollars more than what was budgeted uh meanwhile things are not being covered accurately or or uh with with as much of uh, journalistic vigor you know like um Spending money on, on things like this roundabout, $1.6 million. Yeah. You know, nobody cares about that. There's no reporting on that. What about the parkade expense? Where was the CBC's big uh, investigative journalism on the parkade? Non existent. That was tens of millions of dollars. I mean, the list goes
1: right, on and on. You, th- you, you agree with James? You think this is a hatchet job? Let's hear it.
2: Uh, well, I think the CBC is probably, you know, if somebody gave him a tip, I mean, that's how newspapers that work. They get a tip and then they go for the story and then they expose it. Uh, I don't know how else you could do it. Uh, an example, years ago down in the States, <laughs> small town, this guy, mayor was there for six or seven years or something. And when he left, there was, there was only four or five of them on council. They found out that he was paying himself $650,000 a year salary. <laughs> so these things <laughs> can get out of amazing. control, you know. <laughs> And we had uh, Kind of a new
1: pre- transparency policy yeah. there, <laughs>
3: eh, a, Trans- a No, no, we are transparent because we have a public relations team.
2: We had a, a previous mayor that went to a, a, a council or a, a convention on snow removal and that in China. Okay, so I thought, and they, this was the third or fourth one, so I, not that they went to, but that this <laughs> convention that they had. So I, I did some looking into it. And the previous year, Edmonton, Calgary, and a few places back east, and a few others, they all went to this convention. But this year, looking all around, there's only two people that went. One was the mayor of Anchorage, Alaska, and the other was the mayor of Prince George. The only two people from Canada that went to these conventions. So you got to be watching this stuff all the time, because a lot of times they're traveling, not for city business, but for the sake of traveling. And the other one that we have is... Twin, we have twin cities like we have a twin city somewhere in Japan and then we go and visit our twin city and then they come and visit us and they're traveling all over and it got out of control in the US they discontinued it because it was just being used to get free trips so yes we need the people to be watching this stuff all the time because otherwise they're spending, they're spending our tax dollars and the other thing is yeah okay so we got a We just got to stay on top of it. Otherwise, it just gets out of control. All
1: right. Thanks, Eric. We'll take a short break. We'll be back after these messages.
8: The Prince George Hospice Palliative Care Society offers family grief support services. The service supports children who are grieving and their parents or caregivers. The programs are separate but run at the same time. The same topics will be presented to each group, which can then be shared at home with the family together. There is also a children's drop-in support group. Registration is required and registration full details are available from the Prince George Hospice Palliative Care Society online at pghpcs.ca.
3: As we reflect upon this challenging year with fires close to home and international conflicts, it remains clear that what is important is time. The best part of the Christmas season is spending time with those we love, creating memories and warm feelings. From our families to yours. We wish you all the love and happiness this season can bring, and may it follow you throughout the coming new year. Timberline Footfitters, family owned and operated in Prince George for over 30 years. On Victoria Street, next to Wendy's.
6: Christmas is a time for smiles. Upgrade your smile with a visit to Dur Denture Centre. Durr Denture Center offers a full range of services, from partial dentures to complete dentures. Same-day repairs are also available. Durr Denture Center is located on the third floor of the Victoria Medical Building, with easy elevator access. Come in for a free complimentary consultation, and get your smile upgraded for Christmas. No referral required. Durr Denture Center, in the Victoria Medical Building. Call 250-562-6638.
7: Santa loves Coop's Bike Shop. He usually asks their elves for help with gift ideas. Coop's has brand-name snowshoes, skates, and skating apparel, and, of course, bikes and bike accessories. That's right. Coop's Bike Shop is your year-round sporting goods store. Locally owned and operated for 50 years, get great deals on snowshoes, skates, skating apparel, bikes, and bike accessories at Coop's Bike Shop. Gift ideas for everyone on your Santa list. Coop's Bike Shop, open Tuesday through Saturday in the Nicholson Center.
0: Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM.
1: All right, we're back, and we're going to talk a little bit about... um. So the Robert Picton case, you know, this was settled God, it was almost it was almost 20 years ago that I think he was charged. Uh, and then, you know, the the it took a few years to go through the courts. The RCMP has made an application to dispose of the evidence that is still being held regarding this case. Um, it's it's interesting there, there was a decision to drop a, a number of charges. I think it was 26, even though there are still 50 unsolved homicide, homicide cases related to Picton. But to, there were 26 that he had been charged with that had been dropped at the time because he was already serving the time, right? And it's, it's kind of an interesting point here. Like, there are people out there who whose loved ones have been killed, And they will never have an official response as to who did it, right? Never. Because that has been dropped. Uh, there are, uh, there are people who were involved in those murders who have not been charged. It's the, uh, Wally Opal, his report came out in 2011, 2012. Um, he very clearly stated that the RCMP mismanaged this case from the get go. Right. then they knew in the, all through the 90s people were pointing to the pig man on the downtown east side and now they're gonna get rid of this evidence on
3: purpose.
1: the question I got like is this is this something that we need to keep indefinitely and if so what are we going to do with it because do do we not owe the families of these uh, victims some kind of closure herb
4: I mean, it's terrible optics for the RCMP. I mean, this this case uh, still reverberates, uh, you know, through through Lower Mainland, and there's been all sorts of accusations of uh, politicians being involved, bikers being involved, uh, you know, cover-ups. Um, look, you know, for the amount of money the RCMP is going to save by disposing of this evidence, uh, it's just not worth it. They just keep it indefinitely. Um, you know, keep it for a hundred years and, um, and just say, you know, if any new evidence does, uh, show up, uh, we've got all this existing stuff that we can draw upon. And, um, I mean, they, they claim that, uh, it's not going to hinder any future prosecution, but nobody's going to buy that. So yeah, it's just terrible, terrible optics and bad decision.
5: James, uh, I mean, should we in, in these cold cases, what should we be doing with this material? And they, they should be obviously storing all that material. The thing the thing that really uh, you know upsets me about this is that uh, Picton's only ever gotten second degree murder convictions. Like, what what about the first degree yeah, convictions? Every you know, one
1: of those was planned.
5: Yeah, and and there was a bunch of first degree uh, charges that were, that were stayed by by the crown. Um, you know, they should they should uh, they should bring those back. Uh, to the courts, and, um, yeah, they, they should not be getting rid of that evidence. I mean, that, I think, like, they may have had one argument in there that kind of made sense, was that if there was, there was uh, private property by law, they have to give that back after a certain point, and, you know, I hope that's what they were just talking about. There was, you know, stuff that maybe was inconsequential to the case at hand, but... Uh, it doesn't seem like that was necessarily the case, so maybe need a few more details there about what uh, what exactly what exact kind of property they're talking of uh, quote unquote disposing of. But um, Eric, I
1: mean, yeah, this I is think
2: that property going back was you know there's some legal yeah there are legal obligation if it's owners. not
1: being used in a case to go back to who
2: owns it right. But who owns it? Yeah. yeah, I think the the question that needs to be asked is: Is there any ongoing cold cases that are still trying to solve crimes and if not, when did they quit investigating? I suspect they quit years and years ago. Well, I'm sure they quit as soon as he was
1: convicted of a yeah. secondary murder, yeah.
2: right? So, you are going to go back 20 years later or whatever and start over and I don't know it's it's a bad situation because you have family on one hand and the police on the other. I mean, we could we've got thousands and thousands of unsolved cases all over Canada when do we let them go? I don't know yeah, I don't know either, but I mean this one is it's interesting cuz they
1: could have just pursued them. Yeah, I agree they could have pursued that. them. They yep. they could have got a conclusion. It would have t- it would have taken resources. I just wonder like is this about triaging the our our underfunded criminal justice system or is this about justice for families, you know? Trudy
3: well, I was uh, reading the article on CBC.
1: <laughs> right.
3: Um, and it says that although the RCMP used the word disposal on its applications, the evidence has been captured and retained. So, but my guess like is... pictures or... Yeah, but I mean, as we all know, if you're trying to solve cold cases, you often have to look at the evidence again, right? And, and so, yes, maybe they've compiled a lot of the information. But, oh my goodness, I mean, all of the... I mean, this is... It, this whole question, like, why are these unsolved cases not going forward? It's sort of like the whole Epstein Island thing, right? Like, where's the list of, uh, or the the people that... Uh, took those planes? Yes, that took those planes and that, and that bought the girls that Epstein was providing. Where's the list of those people? Why is there not persecution? Um, and I think this situation is a little bit like this. I mean, there's probably a lot of people involved that um, are politically powerful. And yeah. so, you know, they've probably been watching and hoping the clock will tick away, and you know, things will die out, and prosecutions will, you know, just so slowly fizzle out. And oh, it's 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 a mess. And it's, I mean, I really really feel for those families who, of the of the girls that were murdered, or um, missing, and murdered, and will never get closure. They because, know they're murdered.
1: They found their bodies.
3: Yeah. So, I mean, how do how? For them, justice does not look like just ignoring it. For them, justice means finding out who did it.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is—I would say—and I know because you know, you know, uh, full disclosure. I did some communications work for the BC Assembly First Nations on this. Like this seems like one more kind of poke in the eye for a lot of these families, and one more demonstration Mm -hmm. that. You know, we we had the the RCMP commissioner a couple of years ago say there's no systemic racism in the RCMP. I know this is the Vancouver police, but you know the whole justice system just ignoring well, then, these issues when it comes to First Nations. Right? And
3: this is something that uh, was brought up at I mean, sort of uh, similar um, at intergovernmental affairs at uh, for council last uh, last meeting about bringing up the topic of human trafficking. I mean, this is all involved. Like it's a whole great big giant ball. And and I was talking to. Kathy Peters about this, and she said, uh, who's from Be Amazing Campaign, working against human trafficking, she said, often it's just so hard to move these things forward because the people who should be making the decision to investigate are actually involved.
1: Wow. All right, got to take a short break. We'll be back after these messages.
7: Give the gift of courage this season with a donation to the Alzheimer's Society of B.C., Donate by December 31st, and the Friends of Society will match to a total of $65,000, a perfect time to double your donation's impact. Your donation will help keep the First Link Dementia Helpline open for dementia support and information. Help ensure that nobody has to walk the dementia journey alone today through the Donate button at alzbc.org.
0: The local organizing committee for the 2024 Parabiathlon World Championships and Paranordic World Cup Finals have launched their new event website. As excitement builds for the two consecutive events being held March 5th to 17th at the Otway Ski Trails, the new site is the main portal for all information on athletes, teams, volunteers, fans, and community members. Check out the website today at caledoniancompetitions.com. So you're prepared as the world comes to Prince George in March.
7: The Nature Trust of BC is raising funds to protect 129 hectares of ecologically valuable wetlands and mature and riparian forest here in Prince George. The Ferguson Lake Wetlands is adjacent to the Ferguson Lake Conservation Area. The purchase will increase this ecologically valuable conservation complex to 160 hectares. Full details on supporting this Nature Trust of BC purchase are available through their projects page at naturetrust.bc.ca. The fundraising deadline for for this project, it's March 31st.
6: Forecast from Environment Canada. Cloudy today with snow starting this afternoon. Winds from the southeast to 20 gusting to 50, a high of minus 1 with a wind chill to minus 10. Snow changing to rain late this evening. Gusting southeast winds are coming light overnight, the temperature rising to 2. For Saturday cloudy, a 40% chance of showers or flurries early in the morning. at 15K and a high steady near minus 2.
0: This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 we
1: We're back with the Friday political panel. It's Eric Allen, Trudy Clausen, Herb Martin, and James Steidel. Got some interesting uh, stories, actually. It's a tale of two cancer patients happening here, both of whom received cancer treatment in Bellingham, one of whom <laughs> was sent there by the government, one of whom went on her own dime. The person who was sent there by the government said it was night and day that the uh her name is sorry Mia Toth said that the care she received and the I guess the energy that was that was happening in this in this cancer care center was was just so much better than what was happening here in in BC not nothing against the people who are providing the care they're just overworked yeah the other person Sheila I'm going to say Vichich I think that's how you would say her name uh she decided to cash in on some R- RSPs, she's retired, so that she could get some care in Bellingham. She knew it was going to take a much longer to get it here in BC. And when she did that, her oncologist decided to take her off the list and remove her from any ability to have for instance dietitian. she has colon cancer so she needs a dietitian and further care in the bc system the crazy thing to me is that there's actually no policy and this was the decision by her doctor uh, under no guidance so a personal decision james do you think that this i mean this is functionally i guess it's cue jumping if people have the resources should they be able to go somewhere uh, other than canada get some care there and then come back and get other care here
5: Oh, that's a that's a real tough question. I think I think the the bigger question is how do we fix the problem here in uh, here in BC? I mean, um, so we've we've implemented this new program where we're going to pay for the expenses down in a place like Bellingham. We're going to pay for the travel and get these people the care that they need and reduce the waiting time list uh, for other people in Canada who uh, who need this kind of treatment. You know, and and I think. Um, the one article there, the, the, the director of the cancer uh, treatments here in, in BC said it is working, that the wait times have gone down as a result of this, but I, I want to see some numbers, like the financial numbers. How much is this, uh, this program costing us and does it make more sense to just get the, the equipment going up here and, you know, get better, a better system, get more uh, people working and doing cancer treatment and, and uh, dealing with the problem that way. Uh, I think, yeah, there's a lot of tricky questions about, uh, Q jumping and, and, uh, you know, that's a really sad story about that lady getting, uh, you know, kick, kicked off the list here for treatment in, in BC. Uh, very interesting. I'd encourage people to read those two articles, uh, and, um, I'm sorry I don't have much more to add than that. Eric, what do you think about this?
1: Sheila, she went down, and got some treatment, paid for her out of her own pocket, and then comes back and tries to
2: continue her care. She's kicked off. Yeah, I don't know if she had a heads up before she did that. that- But that's a possibility it can happen, and you know, you end up with people that can afford it can have a dual system work both ends that work best for them. So that's, I can see part of that. But the interesting thing was, well, a number of interesting things, a number of people that they met down there and were working on them and uh, working in the private industry there were from British Columbia. Yeah. And uh, probably trained in our. Our, our universities here probably got government loans that they may not have paid back yet, and they used to be that way with the teachers. As soon as they were ready to roll, they headed south, because that's where the good jobs were, and, and the attitude is different. It's a business, and they run it like a business, and they put you through, and uh, here, I think we're going into a bad time in, in uh, Canada on government-type jobs like that, because... It's not the old school where you work 16 hours a day to keep your business going. You know, now they want to work 8 hours a day and they want to go on vacation and do what other people do. We got a serious problem here. Mm-hmm. And the same thing is coming with the dentists, you know. You don't put a million people into the dental system unless you got some dentists, <laughs> do we have the dentists to look after I doubt it. so the next thing, you know, we're going to have a huge backlog. In England, years ago, I was reading on it there, and some of the backlog, they used just to control their budgets. You know, if they yep. tried to put everybody through, their budget was all off, so they kept them back. Crazy.
1: <laughs> the uh, you know, for the, for Sheila Vichich there, she says that uh, she wanted to figure out how to kind of do do this across both sides of the border. Her, the reason her oncologist gave for kicking her out of the system was that there were, quote, too many cooks in the kitchen. Which just tells me that I think doctors got a little bit too much ego in this game, and they <laughs> should learn how to collaborate when it comes to someone's life. What do you think, Trudy?
3: Well, I go back to my very initial uh, Boeing 737 MAX problem. We have our healthcare system is just in a mess, and the idea that we're sending people to another country whose system we pretend to hate in order to fix up our problems, the problems that we don't know how to manage... Is absolutely utterly appalling. Um the fact like it is such a massive failure of our system. Um and our government, this low this current government can say what they want, but the fact is that they are doing this while they know that our system here isn't working. I mean look at the lineups at the at the walk in clinics. Fifty people before it even opens. I mean more than 50. I mean you call that health care? Like five thousand people on a wait list in the in the city of Prince George I, I'm
5: a flummer. You're speechless. James the, has a just has a real comment. quickly. Uh, yeah, but don't worry, Trudy. You know we've hired a bunch more administrators to, oh, to yes. fix up that problem. Right.
3: Yes. I've heard then, that, uh, yeah. We have a number of buildings to house those administrators as well.
5: Herb.
4: Yeah, it definitely. Uh, Healthcare is underfunded and, uh, and overworked and uh, overused. Uh, Basically, uh, if someone wanted to go down to the states and pay out of their own pocket, there's no reason why they should be cut off from whatever kind of system we do have. Uh, That just seems seems,
1: vindictive to me. That is, it just
4: seems unfair and uh, and ridiculous. But um, yeah, I know. Look, but you know, there's a lot of Americans that go on medical tourism trips to Mexico um you know all across the world for for procedures because
1: it's too expensive it's too
4: expensive in the states so you know there's there's no there's no perfect system and it's uh even with an aging population it's probably going to get worse
1: all right we're going to take a short break we'll be back after these messages Learn about dementia from anywhere by
4: participating
7: in the Alzheimer's Society of B.C.'s live Wednesday webinars. Share your first-hand knowledge and unique experiences on the dementia journey during the panel discussion, January 10th from 2 to 3.30. Registration and more details are
6: available through the webinars section at alzbc.org.
7: Lived Experience panel discussion with Jim Mann, 2 to 3.30, Wednesday, January 10th, from the Alzheimer's Society of B.C. through alzbc.org.
3: The holiday season is upon us, and it's a time for merriment and feasting. Don't be left out because you have dietary restrictions. Deb's Specialty Bakery and Cafe has fresh and delicious baked goods that are
0: safe for diabetics, gluten-sensitive, and other dieters. Try our cakes, pies, cheesecakes, and other baked treats for your celebrations this season. May all your holiday festivities be safe, and may your taste buds be jolly. Deb's Cafe and Specialty
3: Bakery, next to Pharmasave at 7th and Quebec.
7: A holiday treat for the whole family is at Theatre Northwest. On through December 20th, don't miss Lance Arthur Smith's Miracle on 34th Street. Adapted from the 1947 Lux radio broadcast,
6: you're sure to enjoy this radio play musical version of the Hollywood classic.
7: Lance Arthur Smith's Miracle on 34th Street, a radio play musical on through December 20th. Tickets are available Tuesday through Thursday from 11 to 5 at Studio 2880 and
6: online at Theaternorthwest.com. Connect with services such as WorkBC, ServiceBC, and the Ministry of Social Development and Poverty Reduction at the downtown branch of your Prince George Public Library. It's a convenient way for you to find out about these community services at a spacious central location. Sessions are held every second Tuesday, and you don't need to make an appointment. Just drop in and chat with the service providers you need. The next community services drop-in is Tuesday from 1 to 3 at the downtown branch of your Prince George Public
1: Library.
0: You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM.
1: All right, we're back with uh, some more provincial kind of gossip. So the Law Society is kind of censuring uh, Attorney General Nikki Sharma because she's uh, she's put some things on Twitter, I refuse to call it its new name, uh, regarding a case where a provincial court judge sentenced a man to Probation for, uh, spying on his tenant because he said it appears that a marital intimacy deficit had <laughs> contributed to the offending conduct. And he also didn't want to, didn't want to affect the employment prospects of the 43 year old healthcare worker. And Nikki Sharma came out and said, we're basically victim shaming, victim blaming and letting creeps off with a slap on the wrist. And the law society has come out and said you're undermining uh, public confidence in the justice system. <laughs> what do you think, Eric? Is this is this undermining public confidence in the justice system, or is this our our elected representative saying, "Get your act together"?
2: Well, you know, you got to pick your time when to do something, when not to do it. But certainly, it undermines the system if you have somebody working for the government criticizing a decision made by a judge. You should maybe have an internal investigation or a discussion or something maybe she doesn't know that she's not supposed to do that maybe uh it's like our mayor there maybe <laughs> <laughs> she should blame her staff or something <laughs> for not telling
7: her
3: <laughs> well i i think this just shows how completely morally bankrupt we are when we cannot when we think that What will harm the law society is, you know, the attorney general. And I know that there is supposed to be that difference. I totally understand. Right,
1: they're not supposed to. They're not supposed
3: to undermine. However, I, 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 I really think that what has undermined, under, in this case, what undermines public trust in our justice system is less her comments and more the judgment.
1: Yeah. Right. I mean, this. Uh, she she's making points about the fact that people don't come forward, yeah, when it comes to sexual violence, etc. because they're concerned that things like this will happen. And here it goes again.
3: <laughs> exactly. So I think the problem is with the judgment, um, not not necessarily. And I know that there is a line that you know that you have to be careful. But at the same time, she's the attorney general, and they do set direction,
4: right? General direction. So
1: Herb, do you think that that line was crossed? And if it was crossed, do you think she needs to come back? Thank you, Sharma, sure I mean?
4: No, I, th- I think what she is basically commenting on is, uh, yeah, the overall direction, and not specifically the judge so much. And
1: she never named him or anything, yeah. but then she did say something about this particular case at some point, right? Yeah, so that's, she shouldn't she's, have done. She's,
4: she's yeah, she, she may be, yeah.
1: Blurring the line there. third
4: line. But still, I mean, I think she's trying to make a point, which has to be made, that, uh, you know, sometimes the uh, justice system's not reflecting what uh, society needs, so... You know, that's, um, yeah, that's legitimate. James?
5: Yeah, I think the, the law society would have a little more credibility maybe if they, before they had criticized Nikki Sharma, they'd maybe made a statement uh, criticizing that judge. I mean, somebody has to to hold the judiciary accountable. You know, it can't just be this this uh, independent uh, arm of, you know, society that exists in la-la land and gets to do whatever they want. I mean, if there's got to be some accountability there, yeah, elections, <laughs> like Trudy said, you know, you go across that border down to Washington State, you see these uh <laughs> judge election billboards all over the no. place. No, no, I not No, we no. do not agree with no, that. No I, no, I don't. I don't, no? de-
3: I don't either. But, yeah, <laughs> no, get I don't de-
5: crazier well. Come on, we got Herbin, we got Herbin there. I mean, there's, there's more justice <laughs> being delivered on this uh, panel, probably, than than there is in, in most courtrooms. But, um... <laughs> You know, I. Trumping her You know, if if um if that law society I think wanted to have credibility, they should they should be a little more vocal in some of these ridiculous decisions that are being made in statements. Like, come on, marital intimacy deficit. Like, where did he come what up with what that the term? Hell, man. What is that? Right? <laughs> so before we go, I do want to just mention, uh,
1: this is about, uh, bylaws and the grandfathering in of people who have, uh, you know, who, who would currently, uh, break the bylaw, but because of previous, uh, because of having something in place in advance. And it's relating to the case of a one-armed baboon named Mark who got loose and, uh, <laughs> attacked a woman in Lashford, Ontario. The, uh, apparently the, the city has no way to pursue this baboon after its uh, crazy rampage, because it doesn't the, the the baboon's owners brought the brought Mark, we'll call him by his name to town before they had a bylaw to deal
5: with exotic pets.
3: Planet of the Apes.
5: <laughs> baboon's got teeth, and the, the bylaw doesn't he? Eh? Good job, James. Uh, the <laughs> <laughs> the question I've got is like. So, so we can grandfather
1: in all sorts of crazy stuff, right? And this is mostly for bylaws. It's about like whether you've got some, some weird building or, or you've, you built your house too close to the property line and then want to change it. You don't, you don't want to have people ripping down their houses. But in this case, this, this, uh, this primate, uh, was extremely vicious. And I just wonder, like, should we be reexamining this idea of grandfathering that, that seems to be, you know, actually it's everywhere.
3: Well, I'll first say, I mean, how absolutely horrific it must be to be attacked.
1: Right? In Latchford, Ontario, one our baboon comes across the highway at you. You're not expecting that. <laughs> We're not that. supposed to be
3: laughing because that's, uh, that, I cannot imagine the trauma there. Um, in terms of, uh, but I mean, like, isn't there a law against allowing your pet? To harm somebody, I mean, I don't I know bet why you this they got,
5: can... it's like dogs and cats. I right? didn't say that in the article. Like, was this baboon uh, put down? Well, no, they can't. They can't put it down.
3: Well, yeah, but um, it, the, okay, but aren't we responsible for what our property does? Like, if if my dog goes and bites somebody, am I not under the law? Like, forget about bylaws. But am I not under the law responsible for what my animal does? But,
2: but uh, it's dog and cat. That's all that's covered. Yeah, the because bylaw the only animals. covers know, dogs but and I know cats. I
3: mean, are, are like our 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 other laws, not bylaws, other laws? Like, do we need a bylaw for everything? I mean, don't we have like?
1: I don't know if I don't know if there is a federal statute on uh, primate on primate violence. <laughs> well, <laughs> <the thing laughs>
2: is, if you come if you come into a city with an exotic animal and they don't have a bylaw. You get to then, keep it. Then you get, yeah, to but get it. Yeah,
3: but if it harms somebody else, it's your property. Well, I think
2: they'd
1: have to charge the person with negligence. Yeah. But in the meantime, that baboon isn't going anywhere, right? Like, it might be, it might be taken into as evidence... Right, Make him a citizen of the the city And then you can then charge, then charge him, him as a human jail. I guess there is primate on primate violence That's homicide So maybe they should just treat him as a yeah, yeah as a person
3: Well let's vote A vote for baboon a,
1: Yeah then the baboon gets a vote But you know if it's an open vote I don't know Only dogs
5: and cats So you're telling me I can have a bunch of snakes and they check, some your, check your, I, by-law. And, uh, check you your know, bylaw I get to keep them But I mean bylaws
3: Golly, I mean, surely we have a federal statute that, right, if my animal hurts somebody, I am responsible.
1: It would probably be provincial, but it's it's because uh, animals under under Canadian law are property, right? So, well, my property so hurts somebody. I'm responsible. You have to show. Well, you you may be responsible for negligence or whatever else, but then you you would be charged. Yeah. And then what do they do with the offending piece of property?
4: Well, was the- oh, there some marital discord with that? <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, we have to uh, we have to wrap it up. Everyone, have a great weekend. Happy holidays. And there is oh one last thing. Don't forget craft fair at the civic center.
0: After nine is a weekday presentation of CFISFM. After Nine is produced by Alan Wishart, Eric Allen, Kylie Lewis Holt, Darren Guess, Trudy Clausen and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Steven Smith. Theme music is by The Ebbs. Listen for a rebroadcast of today's program tonight at 10 and for past shows, check out the archives link at cfisfm.com. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca.
1: Owned and operated by the Prince George Community Radio Society, you're listening to CFIS-FM Prince George, a not-for-profit community radio station broadcasting with 500 watts of power at 93.1 FM.